Welcome to the Adamantium Podcast, episode number 66, Clickety-Click. Welcome back, Adam Antimaniacs. I am your host, Adam R. Harrison, and thank you very, very much for tuning in today. I hope you've enjoyed the long weekend. If you live in Toronto, like myself, you could have asked for a better, better long weekend. Sunny, not a cloud in the sky, mid-20s, perfect, perfect weather. Got some golfing in, it's just been perfect. And boy, what a week ahead. I've, I've been looking forward to this week all summer, uh, and I'll tell you why. As you might have heard in previous episodes, I'm a little bit of a, a wrestling geek. Scratch that, I'm a huge wrestling nerd. And WWE's taking residence pretty much all weekend. Four days they're here in Toronto from Saturday to Tuesday. I'm going at least three of the nights. And on top of that, uh, lots of good gigs this week. As I've mentioned uh, on the podcast before, that I'm also a concert photographer for a few radio stations around the city. So this Thursday, I'm scheduled to shoot some 41 and Grandson and Adamant alumni at Echo Beach for 102.1 The Edge. Then Friday night, I've got tickets to Iron Maiden. Then the wrestling starts Saturday night. We've got NXT TakeOver. Sunday is WWE SummerSlam. So excited. Monday, Monday Night Raw. It's also my birthday. And then on Tuesday uh, is SmackDown Live, but I think I might miss it because I'm scheduled to photograph the Smashing Pumpkins, Noel Gallagher, and AFI for Q107 and 102.1 The Edge. Just <laughs> heck of a week coming up. Definitely the most fun week of the summer ahead, I think. I want to know what's the best week you've had all summer. Hit me up on the bitter Twitter, at Adam R. Harrison. Tell me what's like that week that was just stacked with fun activities. I want to hear about it. And we've got a great, fun interview for you today on the podcast. We've got Eric Alper on the show. Eric is a music correspondent here in Toronto. I just like to call him the Toronto music guru. He just knows so much about music and so many people. Eric also has one of the most visited music websites in the city. It's thatericalper.com and one of the most active Twitter accounts in the entire city. Eric is also has a public relations service, which is actually he's responsible for quite a few of the interviews we've had right here on the Adamantium podcast. He connected me with Biff Naked, with Maestro Fresh Wes, with Tom Steven, within the city. Some of the best episodes we've had, so thank you again to Eric for that, and thank you for taking the time to come on the show yourself. I said to Eric, look, I really would love to pick your brain. So he came over, we hung out in my apartment in the kitchen. It was the start of the the kitchen series of the podcast, because now I've done, I think, another two or three of them since then. And uh, anyways, hopefully we'll be working with Eric a lot more, and I can't wait for you guys to meet him. If you're not currently a subscriber to the podcast, you can subscribe to the Adamantium Podcast on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play Music, Stitcher, basically anywhere that you get your podcasts. If you'd be so kind to also leave a uh, rating and a review, that would be very helpful. We'd also love for you to follow us on this adventure on social media. We're available on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter just by searching The Adamantium. And uh, let's introduce you to one of Toronto's music encyclopedias, Mr. Eric Alper, right here on episode number 66 of the Adamantium podcast. Enjoy your week, everyone. If you're going to be at Iron Maiden or SummerSlam this coming weekend, give me a shout. I'd love to meet you, and uh, we'll have a good time together. All right.
welcome, Eric Alper. Thank you for joining us on the hey, podcast. Hey, thanks for having me, man. Absolutely. This is great. Absolutely. So, did you see a chair that Donna was sitting in? Just no, the very you know, nature we, of it. we did that one downstairs. You know, it was you know. So I get this place, and Donna, the former princess, you get a better view. I oh, that's okay. You get that's, a better that's view. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. I get yeah. cookie. Did you give her cookies? Uh, no, actually, you did know what? Because there's anything? too much stuff. She, we did. We had. We got some Starbucks beforehand. Yeah. So. Yeah. yeah. But that actually, those chairs downstairs now have hosted a few people, like Maestro <laughs> and Snow, right. and so yeah. Yeah, you too. But now we'll build up a list of who's on these chairs. Well, they're so. they're gonna have a rope around that that those chairs one day, and they said yeah. this is where this actually is where Adam and, police, and so and so sat. Yeah, and one day. I hope so. I hope so. <laughs> so Eric, we I'd always I've known you. have for years is the, the you know, like one of the Toronto music gurus no. <laughs> pretty much um, but maybe let's open it up to the listeners um, maybe just tell us exactly what a music correspondent does yeah so I uh, for the last 20 22 years I've been a publicist working in the music industry in Canada um, handling PR past and present for artists like Ray Charles or Bob Geldof um, Sinead O'Connor, The Wiggles, Guar, among others, Snoop Dogg, um, Smashing Pumpkins. And um, about, I don't know, maybe about a decade ago, um, somebody on Canada AM, cause, because I used to bring all these artists to to the morning shows and to the television shows and radio stations, somebody just asked me one day, hey, would you be willing to come on and talk about the latest box sets for the holiday season? Right. Because I, I, I was posting a lot of this stuff on Twitter and I was just having fun on social media and promoting everything that I liked. And it was never really about the band I was working for. Okay. It was, even when I was at a record label, I was still promoting, quote, the competition's artists. Because... Right. It's music, and you know, eventually people leave, and you never know where anybody's going to go to anyway. Right. But realistically, I just wanted to still maintain that fandom that I had. Um, so uh, I did a couple of segments on Canada AM, and then they just kept asking me to come back more and more just to talk about music and talk about what was going on. And I never really discussed anything negative about it. Mm-hmm. So that was the one thing was that it, it, you know, as much as I'm a correspondent or or a, or a commentator, I never go negative on things mm-hmm. because I, there's there's better people that are willing to discuss this for without fear of being sued for having the wrong information. Right. But it's also like I I I got no time for it. I, right. You know, nobody needs to hear about my opinion on certain artists that might be getting into trouble and quite frankly that's not what I'm about anymore. Right. So, so I just kept saying yes to everything. Okay. That's where that's where it really came down to it. it I said yes to coming on to the Ward Now show at the time on Sirius XM and that led to a year and a half worth of, of appearances and then one day they asked for me to do my own show and I said sure. Okay. With no real experience other than just watching hundreds and thousands and thousands of artists do it and also just knowing this industry back you know back and forth so th- this so is your show years. on on Sirius on Sirius XM yeah so that, when they asked you to do the show yeah did you have an idea of what you wanted to do on it yet or were you I, like I just knew I wanted to talk to people that was making music okay um, and because you know whether you were a musician or a producer or an engineer 
um, I know nothing about music, about okay. the actual production of it. I know zero. Your setup here is way more than I actually <laughs> know. I still go around to people for like the 19th time asking, so what kind of microphone do I need if I yeah. wanted to do this at home? Because I have no technical abilities whatsoever. So for me, talking to artists about their best love song or the song that they wish was a hit or what it was in, like in the studio when the Beatles were recording the White Album or what it's like when you're Randy Bachman um, and you're trying to mess about creating songs. All that stuff is so magic to me. Mm -hmm. And I know it's so magic to a lot of songwriters who if you even put them in a corner and said write a hit, they wouldn't be able to. Right. Because they just have no idea where the songs come from. Mm -hmm. They have no idea why certain songs hit and other ones didn't. So as long as I was still maintaining the ability for me to be a fan and not mess into like the getting into the the, the, the politics of running a show right I was good so I was always happy to talk to anybody and so to so, so describe some of the services that that your your PR company that Eric Alper uh, well I offers. do yeah I do all the press all the TV and all the radio within Canada for the artist so if the artist is going to be releasing a single or an album or an EP then I'll start to work with them on creating all of their assets from the mm -hmm. very beginning I'll cr help them create um, the look through the photos or the bio write the press release um, getting all the songs up properly through iTunes and or Spotify um, seeing if they need help in terms of management or a booking agent and work with them through all that industry just basically setting up that record properly as much as we can and then working alongside the press the the, the daily newspapers and the weekly newspapers and the mm -hmm. blogs to write about the record going in to visit radio stations to do interviews and performances and working alongside television stations for them to come in and uh, perform on there and then just follow all the things of what they've got going on, whether it's a single or a focus track or a new lyric video or a live video or uh, an acoustic video or an official video or tour dates. So mm -hmm. anything that gives me a reason to go out and reach the media, that's what I work with uh, with these artists on. Mm -hmm. And do you, I noticed too that that even you work with Rogers and Bell and Sean. Yeah. Is there? Do you ever have a problem of conflict of interest between no. who you're partnering mm -hmm. with or? No, the reason, and I've been really, really lucky, um, because when I was working at a record label, when I was working at Koch, and then Entertainment One for just under 20 years, about 18 years, um, in the beginning, they were really, really, they were they were cool with, with me going out and talking on CP24 or Global or, mm -hmm. or Your Morning about, about somebody that passed away or talking about this latest tour for the Rolling Stones and what it meant. Mm -hmm. Because what I was finding was it was, I mean, as a business sense, it was kind of helping them get their word out using mm -hmm. me and, and figuring out what I did. Um, but for the most part though, because I'm not on anybody's staff or payroll, I get to do what I want to do. Okay. And, and nobody ever dictates to me um, what to say, what not to say. Um, nobody's ever said, um, hey, if you come on here, we don't want you going on there. I think in the beginning when when 
not necessarily influencers, but I think when correspondents were working under contract and they were actually getting paid right. per segment, and it just wouldn't be me. It would be like it would be like mom experts or okay, food right, experts yeah. would come on and talk about the five things that or the five ingredient that should be in every meal in the summertime. Right. Those people were getting paid not only from the, the TV station, but they were getting paid sometimes from the products that yeah, actually go course. on there. Nobody bought me. Right. And I never took any money from it. Because okay. I never I never wanted to have that conflict of interest. I never wanted to say, well, I don't want to talk about this album over this one because mm-hmm. they're paying me for it. Right. And because of that, I got to be able to go to sleep at night knowing that... I kind of still worked for myself. Of course, over, and and yeah. I think too, you probably, probably after years you've built that that trust because, like you mentioned earlier, you're all on the yeah. positive side of it. You're not a, you're not critiquing anything. Yeah, they, and, they don't have to worry about. And I'm you not saying and I'm not biased against my own labels right. or my own bands. Like okay. I'm okay with going on the air talking about my favorite albums of the year at the end of the year and have none of them be mm-hmm. the right. artists I work with. Right. You know, if and it's not that's not to say that the artists that I don't work with don't put out my favorite album. Right. But I would be foolish if I were to sit there and say, yeah, only let's talk about only own. my artists yeah. on there. Because then I would have no credibility whatsoever. Right. And, and I think all the artists understand that as mm-hmm. well. That, you know, sometimes I'm not going to mention anybody just for fear of of making sure that that conflict of interest isn't mm. there. Um, but there are, like, I think if there's a good reason for it, like if somebody's, you know, did a, if I were doing, like, a, a five best albums that you didn't hear that year, mm. there's going to be one or two of them that I'm going to put in there if they deserve it. And if, right. you know, but, but I think everybody, for the most part, I think that's why they come to me to do PR anyways, because right. I, because I'm, well, there's a sense they of, know that I'm above and beyond. And there's a sense of credibility to it. It's like... Yeah, I hope so. You know what I mean? Like, it's... I hope so. I think about it enough times. Right. It's like know? there's certain albums or something that it's like, well, if you didn't include this album, sure. it's like takes away a level of trust almost. Yeah. So it's like, yeah. it has to be you know, in there. So yeah. And you want to be calculated with everything that you do. You know, and... and Look, sometimes it's it's, it's going to blow up in your face, and sometimes it's not going to work out the way that you want to. Mm-hmm. Um, but I value and I love I love talking about music on the right. Air. I love people coming up to me in the middle of the street, and it happens. It, it literally happened like you know this morning about somebody that that I was talking about on a on a show, and, and that stuff just kind of blows me away or people that follow me online they're mm-hmm. like hey I didn't know about this and it made me go and buy it it was like amazing right you know I'm not a geek in the way where I, I can tell somebody the catalog numbers of something but it was right, it, it, right. It, it's nice to be able to share something I think that we can all enjoy especially mm-hmm. now where we all have access to the same amount of music for one low price rather than Oh, I've got more record than you, therefore I'm more of an expert. It's like, right. well, what does anybody know? Right. Yeah. And um, the National Post, I saw called called you one of the most, one of the best people on mm. on social media. Yeah, that was a lot what, of fun. Yeah. So, yeah. What, what is the is the, is being on Twitter something that's very important to you, or Everything. something you feel like? It's everything. Yeah. Yes. And I mean, it, your Twitter's it's, one. It's of, everything that got me here, sitting right. in your kitchen. Yeah. Um, because. You know, I was like everybody else in the industry. I just, I just did my job, right? You know, and I. And do you ever 
find it diff. I mean, you're, you've got, I, I imagine, a hundred projects on the go. Do you find it difficult some days to keep up with keeping your Twitter active? I did. I yeah. did up until about a month ago. Really? I okay. Really, I was super paranoid about it. Okay. I, I, for some reason, I had this idea that um, I wasn't going to tweet a lot for the sake of tweeting or posting online. I was just going to try to purge as much stuff as I find and I can get mm-hmm. and I can remember um, out there. So for years, I would be starting at seven in the morning and going until two in the morning. Most of the wow. time, most of it, it, I would say ninety-nine percent of it is all set up in advance anyway. Right. There's times when it's like I'm, I'm looking. I mean, I always have Twitter open because I like to stay on top of things, right? Um, good and bad, whatever's happening online. Um, but if somebody passes away or somebody does something amazing at that moment, or or you, there's, you be there's news happening, I want to be on it mm-hmm. um, because then my phone rings like five minutes later for me to talk about it. Right. So in the in the beginning getting for years and years and years I would be posting like 52 things a day wow. and, and I would feel guilty if I didn't as if the world was going to right. stop or care that they didn't get a tweet at noon but that's the getting caught up in of social course. media yeah. that it happened both ways it, it's why artists who suddenly proclaim that they're done with social media goodbye see you and then, like four days later, they're like, "I missed you guys." Yeah, you know? yeah. I get it. Yeah. You know, this is, you know, as silly as it sounds, and as egotistical as I don't want this to sound like, um, I, I got before social media the the thrill of being on stage. Of like, course, you yeah. hear the audience, and you're just like, mm-hmm. as much as you get wrapped up in in it as a fan, imagine what it's like when it's for you. Right. And social media was kind of like that for me. Um, in some cases, when I knew if I if I asked a, a silly question and it connected or if I posted something that, that people really enjoyed. But then the last month, though, I, I've been okay with, uh, I, I'm going to sleep in on a Saturday so the world can wait to see what Eric Alper has to right, say. Like, right. Dude, like, you're not that big. And, it's, yeah. and, you're, and, and it is supposed to be something you enjoy at the yeah, end of the day. Right, right. And, and you know, you don't... Um, I. I I, I think after a while, and it's not that I'm bored with it, because I am far from it, but after a while, it just became like, it's okay if I don't post that day. Right. You and know? when you enjoy it, you almost find like you, you're yeah, able you to make more it. time you for it, too. To do it. It's sure. like the same thing. People ask me all the time, like, how do you have a full-time job, run the podcast, shoot yeah. concerts? And I'm like, yeah. you understand, like, I love music so much that I would be doing this stuff and anyways. And you take a lot of sleep. Now I'm doing it. And you take yeah, a lot just, of sleep. Yeah, just, that's it. Five hours of sleep. And you're drunk. Say, yeah, I, I see it. all this five-hour energy drink. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Um, but, but, I'm like, but I would have been think spending all my money on concert tickets anyways. I would have been stuck in my computer listening to new music. What else anyways. are you so going to do? Be, of course, yeah. You know, like you're going to go for a walk. You're going to do what you love. Walk, yeah. You yeah, that's it. And then what? As you know, it, it's it, it's it's a it's a nice you know I don't want to say it's a blessing, but it's a nice ability when you get to do the things that you want to right. do because you want to do it regardless if you're getting paid or not. Right and. And a lot of people don't have the opportunity to do what they want to do. Mm. And a lot of people don't even know what would make them happy. They're so stuck in a rut or that they wouldn't have, they wouldn't even have the ability to do a podcast, even though they love listening to them, Mm -hmm. if they just had the opportunity to. So when those opportunities that, that come by for you to do the thing that you want to do, you got to say yes for it. Yeah. Because you... Why not? Yeah. You know, you've got nothing to lose. And and the great thing about it 
is that nobody cares. Mm-hmm. Like at the end of it all, you can go away tomorrow. I could close down my Twitter. Nobody cares. Mm-hmm. I, I would have five people that would care. And I, you know, as I got older, it was like, you know, when REM split up, yeah. I was devastated for like an hour. Cause here yeah. was like one of my all time favorite bands. They were going to be no more. And then, you know, I realized that, Oh, you know what? I still have the music. It's not, there's that still bad. other, there's still, there's still a million. They all die. Right, right. You know, it's all good. Yeah. You, know, you just move on. Yeah. So I realized that if people didn't, you know, if the world didn't stop when REM ended, right. I'll be okay. Be if I decide to great music away. still, sure. but, but it is still, you know, you're right. There's that, it's mine. Of, there's a moment, and every now and then you'll think, yeah. oh man, I wish REM was still making tunes. Yeah, stuff. I mean, yeah. Do, do I wish that there's times when social media was never existed? Absolutely. Oh, yeah, well, yeah, of course. I mean, but, you know, we're here and, and it's fun. Yeah, we don't, we don't need to talk until about it's not the fun. goods and bads of social media. Yeah. But yeah. I, you also yeah, try not to get like, caught up in all of it. Like, I don't, yeah. I don't go looking for news. I don't. I've seen the anti-Trump stuff. Of I've course, seen yeah. the politics. Today is today is going to be hard to get your stuff through all the thank you Kawhi tweets, but yeah. Right, right. Yeah. I, I, you know, but that's that's a good positive thing too. I mean, sure. Yeah. You know what? You can't knock anybody for for wanting to yeah. to feel bad that you know one of the great players is leaving, but you know, um, you know, do I think it was? It, you know, would I camp outside a hotel room? No, or, right, of course, or, no. But I get it if they yeah. did. If you that's know. their thing. If that's, that's their it, yeah. thing, go yeah. for it. You know, I've also had my heart I might camp outside if, if I knew Bono was coming. You know, right. like, <laughs> if Bono was staying at the Four yeah. Seasons and you were like, you know what, this could be my opportunity to get a glimpse of it. I absolutely, yeah. totally get that. You know, I would probably still do that if I didn't get a chance to meet the people that I love. Here's my fan geek moment you can, yeah. is I actually stood outside in line at TIFF yeah. The year there was a U2 movie or doc, something they worked on. Right. And it was premiering TIFF. Yeah. And I stood outside, I think probably for three or four hours before they got there. But in the end, yeah. Bono signed the, my copy of the Joshua Tree no. and shook my hand. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. And so, okay, so it'll hang on this wall, one of these walls one day. All time favorite band, right? All time, yes. Okay. If you had a chance to, if somebody called you up and said, you have 15 minutes with Bono. Yeah. Would you even know what to ask? You know what? That is a very good, very Because good I've had those is. moments. No, it is. And I've sat down with people it's, I have loved mm-hmm. for decades. Couldn't think of a single thing to ask. That is, that is, when Except that's what people for, say to you. Oh, yeah, thank yeah. you. Right. Just thanks, man. And yeah. then, and then you, you start, you know, shooting the breeze and get into it. But I had those, I those moments. The important thing, because it feels so big to you, like totally. you two, such a for me is such a big. Yeah. They're like, they're almost like an idea. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think the it's important thing to do, and actually, one of the best things that came out of that Maestro, the interview I did with yeah. Maestro Fresh West, is he gave me some very good piece of advice, right. and I think that's how I would take it. I would find one small maybe something in a U2 song, right. an album, and I would pick, just pinpoint that. Yeah. Because they've heard everything before. Yeah. So I would pinpoint a song or something and ask them about that and right. let's have a discussion about that. Right. Especially in 15 minutes. Yeah. You're only going to get one or two questions in there, right? So I think that's how I would approach it. Yeah. And, and I think artists really like that too. Because yeah. Because they it, know that you're just coming across it. 
Yeah, and I think, you know, they probably also don't get to talk about something in very specific as much, you know, rather than tell me the theme of the new album. And for the most part, (laughs) artists don't really like talking about music. Yeah. You know, because, like, they're consumed by it all the time. time, And it's hard to talk about music verbally when you know that as big as you two are or Mm -hmm. any band, um, you know the 99% of the people in this world have no idea who have never listened to more than one song from them. Right, yeah. So, you know, you know that you're playing to an audience of people who aren't on Twitter yeah. or who don't know it. I, I sat down with um, uh, with Roland Orzabal from Cheers for Fears for about an hour. And I used to do PR for Kurt Smith, the other so- part yeah. of Cheers for Fears. Um, but in between those times... I started working with people that I love, people that I grew up listening to, like the Geldofs and and Sinead and and even Canadian artists like 5440 or The Spoons or Honeymoon Suite or, you know, just artists that I I like that I paid to go see as Mm -hmm. a teenager. And then, you know, all I can think about when Bob Geldof was in my car was like, if if I get in a car crash and (laughs) we both die, it's going to be, you know... Geldof's comma other dies in, in yeah, yeah. I'm gonna be that other or one. Eric Alper kills yeah, yeah. Bob oh, right right <laughs> you know publicist kills artist you know um, but for Roland from Tears for Fears it was I, I said to him like I'm gonna ask you all the geeky questions that yeah. I've wanted to know yeah. and forgive me and he probably loved that thing. and he loved it and what was what was cool about it was I never I rarely get to put the Sirius XM show online for free because it's subscription based. Right. Um, but I got to I asked and I got to put up this one. And the amount of Tears for Fears fans from around the world that responded and said, mm-hmm. I can't believe you got to ask them that question because yeah. I would always want to, to know, know that. that. Yeah. Because I think it's one thing for, for journalists to ask you know, well, what was going through your mind when you did this? And chances are, you got to come up with a really good story. You're right. It's when it's when artists start to just lie, right? Just to make up something interesting. Yeah. Um, but I think you know to be able to say, because again, I think because of the fascination that I have with with music, and I don't sit there and listen to albums and be like, wow. But there's there's a lot of albums where it is like, holy smokes imagine being able to do that mm-hmm. you know and I listen to you know I listen to the Joshua Tree and you sit there and you're like of of all the songs in the world to open up with like that one mm-hmm. why that how how do you even think of that Brian Eno or Daniel Lenoir or guys from you two how, you know when you start throwing all the stuff on the whiteboard and the chalkboard right. and you want and then you just you want to throw it all away like yeah. what gets you to the point that thinks that it's okay because it's so easy to look at things hindsight 20 mm-hmm. years down the road or even seven months down the road but I think that we're going to lose those moments with social media and with music streaming right. because everything is so fast and everything is isn't being consumed by the time like look there, there's still a lot of albums that are on the billboard album chart for mm-hmm. a year or two years or five years or Bruno Mars's album been on there for like seven years mm-hmm. or even Dark Side of the Moon just made another appearance again over 900 weeks on there but like I'm wondering like in the 80s like all these classic albums are we just going to think about 
all these albums that are coming out now in the same way. And I know Mm -hmm. that you and I are probably not, but like, is like my 16 year old daughter going to look at the Cardi B album and say, that was a watershed moment for this generation. And I hope so. Yeah. I'm just not convinced. It's it's funny. It's one of those things that's going to be 20 years from now, we're going to say the same thing, you know, like when I, I remember, you know, growing up, my source of new music was was much music. Yeah, you know totally. What I mean? And at the time, it was like, oh, look at the crap much music is playing. <laughs> and now it's like, man, I used to love hearing this song right. of much music. Yeah. And it's like, you know, again, hindsight, the and grass is always changed. greener. You know what I mean? If but. I if I posted on Twitter today, what album do you think we're going to be, rem- are, is still going to be played 20 years from now? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to get hundreds of responses all saying none. Really? And everything is yeah. crap. Right. And then I'll get a whole bunch of people saying, well, I think, you know, BTS is going to completely revolutionize music as we know it by having all this K-pop music and people's psyche. Mm-hmm. And, you know, both are valid. I yeah. mean, you know, it's it may not be for all me. All depends on where you're from, where yeah. you're coming, your and, taste. And who's, who's to say that you too should be taken serious, more seriously than... than Miley Cyrus mm-hmm. you know it's okay it's okay to have both of them exist um, I'm just good music I'm just not music, convinced right? that, that the time and the way that music is being consumed is going to be so conducive to these classic albums that mm-hmm. you and I continue to think about and write about and listen to do you think that even the whole concept of an album yeah. might someday phase out. You know, with now the the world runs on singles. Now. Yeah, you know totally. I mean? That's the, that's where the money is. I think it, I think it's going to change. I, I think it's going to. I I think that the the industry still has a far ways to go before mm-hmm. the album stops because what has to happen is that all the people who are recording albums are going to need to disappear, right. or that they're going to be told, "Hey, if you want to stay on this record label, you need you need to only release three songs." Right. Um, and, and part of me think that that's okay because then, you know, maybe only the great survive. Mm-hmm. Maybe only the great songs and the great artists and the great videos will be the ones that will rise to the top. Hardly ever happens that way. Mm-hmm. But that's the one thing that gets us all out of bed in the morning that, you know, the, the continuation of great music will still be out there if you know where to find it. Mm-hmm. It may not always be on the Billboard Hot 100, right. but it's still there. It's there on select radio stations or you, know, or you, you may have to dig a little bit deeper. But the way that it was like in the Motown era or in the 1920s and 30s where you never got to record even an album, you know, I mean, the album was invented till later on and after the 30s and 40s, but like, you know, in the Motown era where you didn't get to record a second single until your first single broke big, mm-hmm. and then you didn't get to record another single until you got two songs that were hits, and then they just slapped dash a, a record together. Um, what's scary about it and, and what we're seeing is that, you know, as much as I love Old Town Road, you know, the song's a minute, 50 seconds. Right. And with the complete lack of of concentration that some people have when it comes to music where they just want something or that they'll just listen to the first 25 seconds and then they skip them right Mm -hmm. away that data is scary Mm -hmm. to have because these record labels and managers and artists will be able to say you know what if we don't get to the chorus in the first 15 seconds we're never going to lose it Mm -hmm. rather than being the Beatles where every seventh song Sorry, off with the chorus, I was just, just for giggles. You know, we were just talking about look at where the streets have no name. It's totally. probably like three minutes before you, can never you get do to that. the. Yeah, you can never do yeah. that. 
you can never yeah. have a song longer I than like I think that's one of the greatest songs ever written and it's like yeah you don't get to the chorus till right, right. the chorus doesn't pay off until you have that one minute of build up into that first line I want to yeah. run and right. that, it's not you know it wouldn't be the same song without it totally so, yeah I, you're right it's I, I, I asked Alan Cross yeah. once why why it is that rock and roll songs don't top the charts. Yeah. And he explained to me that it's because, you know, people who listen to rock and roll are a little more old school and they haven't adapted to, to streaming yet. Yeah. And they like, still like to own their albums yeah. and stuff like that. Do you think that will change or do you think, you know, there'll, there'll yeah. be something after streaming, there'll be something after streaming. Do you think we're just going to skip the streaming phase? And, yeah, you know, I don't know. I think we're going to see streaming one. for like another 15 years. Oh yeah. I, I think in the formats, the, the way that, um, I mean, everything is just an extension of, of, of something else. And the format itself mm-hmm. is just, it's just a holder for yeah. the music. So the vinyl record was really not a vinyl record. It's just like a round circular thing that yeah. just held music and the cassette tape, which just happened to be the cassette tape to answer of the big bulky stuff. But I think once, once the Walkman came along, mm. that changed everything 40 yeah. years ago. But then we, we had CDs and everyone said, well, nothing's going to be better than CDs. Nothing's going to be better. <laughs> and, that, and, and who wouldn't want to have 70 minutes worth of music Right, I and then came iTunes, paying forty dollars for it. Right, and then iPods came along like, and well, said, "Nothing's gonna be better than that." Right. right, yeah, and but I think that this is real. Like, I think yeah. the streaming way, because it's not just about music. It is, it's the way that television shows are being consumed and movies yeah, are being consumed, access to everything and, and eBooks and everything. So I, so I think that when the music industry doesn't operate in a bubble, that tells you that that I think that there's going to be. Um, that it's here it's going to be here for at least I think a generation mm-hmm. but I, I, but that's only 15 years yeah. but if you go through vinyl records it had a good 20 year run cassette tapes had a good 10 year run CDs had a good 15 18 year run and even so like you know I mean since 85 with the CD like 85 95 105 like 23 24 years and you can still buy them, mm-hmm. but I think this is like the the choice of this generation. Of course, who yeah. doesn't want to own a car? So because they've got Lyft and they've right. got um, um, uh, Uber, Uber, yeah. um, they don't really need to own a house anymore because a they may not be able to afford it, but b they yeah. got they got the B and B in the apartments and condos. Um, they may not want to own books in the next little bit because of the e reader, and they absolutely don't want to own music as much as they used to. But there's still spots. The Rock on Tours hit number one last week yeah, yeah. with their album solely because it just overtook Lil Nas's X EP uh, based on the physical copies of it. Right. It's certainly harder and harder to find yeah. those physical copies, but it's not going away just yet. Mm-hmm. It's just going to be a little bit more specialized, I think. But, you know, it, it's it's scary. If, if you're an artist that plays jazz or folk or mm-hmm. classical... Um, or blues, uh, you, uh, that's your audience. You mm-hmm. you may that those four genres of music may never be able to break through to a younger demographic ever again mm-hmm. if they don't get their stuff together and start bringing people on the streaming world. Yeah. and I don't think it's going to happen. I think mm-hmm. that those the older generation hardly ever latches on to the new technology, which is why we don't see as as much as you and I can talk about Spotify or or Netflix. 
not everybody is on it, mm-hmm. you know. And there's still a, quite a bit of population who don't have a credit card, who yeah. don't have a cable bill, and who are still watching the Big Bang Theory. Right. And a million and a half people are doing it every single week. I don't mm-hmm. know any of them, but they're they're not solely cord cutters either. Yeah. So, you know, we can't but forget it, about it, those people. It blows my mind, though, because, I mean, to me, rock and roll still rules the live music yeah. Industry. But the like demo, go, sure. Right. You go yeah. downtown, you look at any list, any venue in the list of who's yeah. playing there, they're 80% rock and roll acts. And so it kind of blows my mind that they're, you know, they're so prevalent in, in the live music scene, but in the, the recording scene, yeah. it's like... There's nowhere to be seen. Nowhere to be seen. Yeah. You know? There, there's like the average... It's the DJ of the-, of the week. It's the, you know, the... Who's ever who's ever pumping out a song in an hour? Totally, you know what I mean? Right, and out of their basement, you know. Yeah, I mean, you know, and I mean, good, good for them, good for them. Works. But it's like, yeah, they have a the average age of the the of the the box office grosses mm-hmm. in the top twenty is fifty five years of age, but the average age of the Billboard Hot one hundred last year was like twenty seven years. Right, I mean, something's going to change. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think we only have 15 more years until all of these classic rock artists are are around. Mm-hmm. So somebody's got to come in. I mean, but then that's where you end up with the Coldplay's or the that's Maroon say, You can kind of consider them yeah. classics now. You know what I mean? It's you didn't. You wouldn't think so. You no. Know. I even remember when I started hearing Pearl Jam on Q107. And right. I was like, it's like well, that's classic that's rock. Come on. Right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> when they started moving it's into like, the 90s it was right, like right. hey remember now this classic from Nine Inch Nails it's like 90s was yeah. more, you know 30 years ago like it's <laughs> but see that's what people don't don't yeah. think about is that yeah. you know you and I can laugh about Pearl Jam or Nirvana or Sloan mm-hmm. being on classic rock but, but 30 years ago was the equivalent of me listening to Buddy Holly and Elvis Presley when I was when a kid heard, yeah, and yeah. I had no qualms about that right I loved that stuff and so you know it only affects you when you when it's you and you're getting old. Yeah. But everybody feels every generation feels like, oh, there's no way I'm like my parents. Right. Or there, I would never listen to, to, you know, I, I'm always gonna love the music, and it's true. You yeah. most people stop listening to music in their early thirties. Yeah. Thirty three years of age is the average age where people stop listening to new stuff because they get, they get married, they have a mortgage, they have kids, they. You know, they have a job. They can't really go out every night to the mm-hmm. clubs. Um, so they stop listening to it. And the music that you listen to as a teenager or as a young adult in your 20s stays with you. There's yeah. very few people that actually understand it. And, but again, I may not like half the stuff that's on hit radio, but it's not to me. I just right. want a little bit yeah. more meat on my music. That's right. Time. So you mentioned... Uh, you mentioned a number of the artists that you worked with over your career and you also mentioned you asked me about what would my YouTube interview be like who what were some of those ones for you that you were mm. like oh my gosh what do I ask these guys um, when I, I mean I love to hear also that you were still oh geeking my out and fanboying yes. out because and it didn't become like the status quo for you to me never 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 you know never. what I mean like you're st- no yeah. still I doesn't that. Yeah. no cause they're great so, you know even Look, there, there's people that I stared at for 10 minutes. Yeah. Like Ringo Starr. Right. Where yeah. all I'm thinking about is you're a Beatle. Yeah. That's all. Like, yeah. you, you're a Beatle. Um, and you have to be cool about things because, you know, 
they don't want that. You're supposed right. to be different when you're working with the with in that team. You know, you're not supposed to give them the copy of Abbey Road until like you know afterwards. Um, yeah. And and I would always like that. I was always really cool around people that I loved because when I was in university when I was working for a couple of the radio stations and working for a couple of the newspapers, I would do interviews with people that I loved back then. It was like the Charlatans or the Stone Roses or Blur and Lush mm-hmm. and Ride and My Bloody Valentine and, and Carl Cox and all these people that I, I loved at the time in my university days. Um, we would do interviews with them. And so I learned that I could be a fanboy um, that may set me apart from my enthusiasm but I still get like that when I'm working mm-hmm. I'll, I'll never be jaded because there's always people that work. I love yeah. Yeah. yeah and it's fun but there's still times when um, you know I just started now working with this guy named Eric Schenkman and he mm-hmm. is uh, the guitarist for Spin Doctors Yeah, and he lives here in Toronto and does a whole bunch of local shows so we're gonna start to do some stuff until the end of the year but you know even or even bands like Spin Doctors you look at it when I had him on my show it was like like tell me about Woodstock like yeah, tell right. me what it was like like did you even know what a what a a, a crazy mess of right. mud it's going to be and all the, or like what's it like playing Saturday Night Live for the first time yeah. you know um, because I think people want uh, because because we we're never going to have that opportunity to mm. do it and I love it when, when they can put themselves back into those moments of like now that I've I've or now that they have had mm-hmm. those years and sometimes decades to look back on it, do you still even look back on it? Was that a peak moment for you? Mm-hmm. Do you even know at the time how big a deal where is your this? sales yeah. are dropping? Oh, okay. Yeah. And that you're like that was the peak of our yeah. lives, and now it's just downhill. Yeah, you know, because they think about that in those lonely times on the bus. But like, yeah. what goes through your mind when you have that you those moments? Moment, yeah. And then it's always like. You know, asking about specific songs or specific moments, but I love, I love it when they can go back into that time where maybe they don't think of it as so important, but the rest of us do mm-hmm. because we were there watching it as it happened. Right. You know. So I think that there's still time. I mean, Biff Naked, I've got the utmost respect for and love working with her. Sash Jordan. Mm-hmm. I mean, people that, um, you know, Gino Vanelli, like just artists that. W- w- had the hits away from me working with them and but they're still continuing to put out vital important very cool music mm-hmm. maybe radio isn't always on their side or on their demo anymore um, but they, they still want to be creative people and I love that about them mm-hmm. yeah. I always say being being creative is the biggest blessing and the biggest curse yeah. at the same time because yeah. you have this talent but it's the only thing you want to do right yeah. and it's the only thing that you can do right because you didn't have a plan B in your 20s and 30s yeah and that's because you didn't have that plan that enabled you to to get the things that you got yeah because you wanted it more than anybody else does and I think that that's a shame you know going back to you know what you and I talk about with music streaming services you know because because there's not that income coming in for CDs where, mm-hmm. you know, I would get a review in Now Magazine in Toronto or the Toronto Star and we would be selling 300 copies at Sam the Recommend yeah. downtown alone. And that would CDs be $3,000 worth of royalties to the artist. Yeah. 
the artist will never be able to go back to that moment. So, I mean, when we talk about all these great artists, whether you're U2 or Springsteen or, or whoever that, that didn't have a plan B. Right. Springsteen would, and I'm looking at this coaster where, where, where Springsteen would, would drive from you know New Jersey to California and go do a show on the next day, and then drive back simply because that's where they he was wanted. Yeah. Um, I I don't know if I don't know if artists have that wherewithal anymore because yeah. there's no money in it for them right. in the beginning. Right. You know, and I think that's a big shame. Tell me about working with Sesame Street. Oh, that was a blast. Um, <laughs> Sesame Street. Um, is the one gold album that I have in my office um, out of all of them. Wow. Because it's the one that means more to me. Um, we, uh, when I was at Koch, we picked up the distribution for the Sesame Street albums and CDs and okay. DVDs. And um, so the, the U.S. side of it was repackaging up some albums and re-releasing some of the, the classic albums of Sesame Street. Mm-hmm. And the reason why I loved working with them so much is not because that obviously, you know, I grew up right. with Sesame Street, um, but they were, they were still doing some really fun things. On my blog, whenever I get a press release that they just did a Game of Thrones parody, I'll still post it. Of course. Just yeah, because yeah. It's, it's like, go away, man, it's Sesame yeah. Street. You know? Yeah. Um, but it gave me, it gave me the ability to to continue to use music for an educational purpose and for to use music for good mm-hmm. and not always think about you know the bottom dollar right. and i just wanted to make sure that that i was doing everything i can to to have sesame street in people's lives like i did mm-hmm. for a whole new generation of people um, who grew up with Sesame Street. So right. the moms and dads that would be buying the CDs and DVDs at the store also grew up with it. And I loved seeing that generation to generation, even though that it happened already three generations by the time I started working well, there. Sesame Street and the Muppets are one of those that you never, you never, I still love the Muppets. Like I'll watch yeah. everything the Muppets put out. Because right. It's like, yeah. Because they're so smart. Yeah. Did you, you know, right? Yeah. I, I I was so sad when they came. Then they brought it back a couple of years ago on. Right. A, I think it was ABC or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, it was phenomenal. Um, but did when you were working with them, was there anything of like, was it tricky in having to keep the the brand of the the characters or no. the illusion of them being puppets? Like, no. Was there anything like that? Or no, I, no, because so much of the of the finished product was, um, was really it, it was it was the level of support that the company had mm-hmm. for for those items and those products were being sold to people to rack them in the stores and to do the PR for them for people who, who completely absolutely 100% was influenced by them mm-hmm. so it's kind of like when I have uh, when I've got a Bruce Coburn coming into Toronto or Vancouver I'll send out 150 pitches and I'll get 148 of them back saying mm-hmm. that, yeah, let's go do something. Right. Sesame Street was the it's same way. The Wiggles were the same thing. Of course. Maybe yeah. not in the beginning for the Wiggles when they were first starting, but when the Wiggles hit this breaking point of of just being massive, that's when 
that's when you have a superstar artist and yeah. you get to dictate a little bit how the perception is going to be and who you're going to talk to. Yeah, I guess it gets more tricky when you start doing things like appearances and stuff like that. Yeah, I, and and you know what? I, I, to be honest, like I never had that. I never... Yeah. I, I mean, we've had artists that we were breaking at Kachini One um, at the time, but, you know, working in Canada... We, we never really broke something like a Michael Buble. Right. Or we never broke... Um, I mean, we sold a lot of records, but a lot of it was just making sure that we didn't screw up what the rest of the world was doing in conjunction right. with it. Um, and so that was a... that was a, I don't know. I thought that was a really cool thing. I mean, look, we were 4% of the world market. So mm-hmm. a lot of these artists and a lot of these labels were going to spend 4% of their time yeah. on it. Um but it was an important country to me in, in this country. But it was also like we would be selling 400,000 copies of Ray Charles or the Prodigy's mm. Bad the Land album that, you know, we were doing better per capita than most countries or breaking metal artists mm. or, you know, having gold albums and gold videos from Guar or Opeth or, or Porcupine Tree on the metal side of things because of Quebec. So oh, that was okay. nice, but you know, can I attach my name to like Madonna or Coldplay? It's like no, but I don't care because yeah. eventually, I you know, most of those big artists they eventually got down to the indie label anyway. Right. You know, so it was fine. I, I saw actually you were speaking, I saw a really good video recently Muse posted right and it was like from one of their very first appearances it was at a festival they looked like they were 16 year old kids right and Matthew Bellamy at the end of his set goes go over to the second stage check out this band called Coldplay right they're wicked <laughs> it's like <laughs> yeah yeah it's like so mind blowing and now then, and then like, like seven, 7 million people yeah all come claim to see that yeah that exactly show. yeah um, so tell me, because before we, you know, yeah. we're approaching, we got about 15 minutes left. Tell me some of your uh, first memories of falling in love with music. Um, the first, I, I've got two that I was, I got three that I would relate back to. Okay. And it was the, it was around a year, all from a year um, of one another. Um, I saw the Buddy Holly story in the theaters when I was eight. Okay. And it was a movie with Gary Busey, and that changed my life. That was the moment where it must have felt like watching the Beatles on Ed Sullivan right. or Elvis on the TV and realizing that's what I want to do. Um, the year after that, I saw American Hot Wax, and it was the story of Cleveland DJ Alan Freed, and that was in the movie theaters. And um, that was the moment where it was like, I think this part of the industry mm-hmm. I love I love watching the record label guys and I love watching the ra- the late night radio DJs and I love that because that was a part that I never really got to see um, and that was the part you always wanted to play not the actual no, musician you no know, you know what it was just it, it just set up this whole thing of the fascination of the story okay you know later on you know when I got a subscription of Billboard magazine when mm-hmm. I was 12 it wasn't so that I could be, become that geek and memorize the top 100 it was so that I could learn the stories of the people that were breaking records yeah. and why certain things were happening in what markets what was the economic reasoning behind this what was the racial divide that started the rock and roll movement in the mm-hmm. 50s and 60s 
and what was going on politically, what was going on socially, what was going on um, in all of the places that that made music break the way that it did in certain demographics and mm-hmm. certain geographical areas, and I love that. So for me, music was like my history and my geography and my science right. and my social science all in one. Yeah. Um, so the, watching those one, two yeah. movies as a kid. And then that year I saw ABBA in concert. My parents brought me to there. Okay. And I was a big ABBA fan because, you know, like most people in the 70s, oh, yeah, they're like the biggest yeah. in the world. I will never forget the feeling of them coming back from the encore, thinking it was because we we applauded and screamed to make them come back. Yeah. Um, and I've never seen that many people in an arena before. Okay. And it was at Maple Leaf Gardens with like 20,000 people. And I... I've never was seen that your first concert? Yeah, that was okay. probably like my first concert, yeah. Yeah. And then, I mean, it, 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 it's, it's at eight years old, it, it, I, I've always tried to go back to those moments, yeah. you know, where still to this day, and I would never say, oh, that's not as good as ABBA for when I was right, eight. Right, right. But, you know, that led me to like seeing, you know, people I heard on the radio like I would go see Eric Clapton when I was 10 and Genesis at 11 and that mm-hmm. changed my whole life and from my favorite all time band and then when we moved up north a little bit Kingswood Kansas Wonderland was built when I was 13 and I lived like 20 minutes 10 minutes away so they would have these subscription deals where you would go see four concerts for 60 bucks. Okay. So I saw Eric Clapton and Flock of Seagulls in Asia and all of these at bands. Wonderland? Yeah, at, King, at Kingswood, at, at Kansas Wonderland. Wow. And for me, it was like going to the mall. It was wow. like, let's go see a concert tonight. Yeah. And and that's also what kind of brought me to those moments that, that you always try to get back to those moments. Mm-hmm. You always try to go back to the, the times where you first heard something that made the hairs stand up on your back of your mm-hmm. neck. And for me, um, for me, it happened when, when I was that young, when I knew exactly what kind of an industry I wanted to be a part of, even if I couldn't play. Right. And even if Did I had play? no technical requirements whatsoever, I had to find my way in. Yeah. Did and you ever play? Never. No. I, I played for six weeks. I was in the crappiest cover band with other people that seemingly made it much bigger than I did. Okay. Um, but we would be doing covers of Yes and Genesis and right. Supertramp. What did you play? I played drums. Okay. And I would be loudly still counting to four right. several times over um, with a makeshift drum kit that was embarrassing. Um, and I realized that that's it. If I'm going to be a drummer, I'm going to stick to my dashboard in my car, yeah. my steering wheel, and do everything on the 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 break and the you always sound gr- you always sound great on there though right uh, you never yeah. screw up there I yeah. the best concert ever so yeah yeah um, do you remember the first record you ever bought uh, it was um, Great Balls of Fire by Jerry Lee Lewis as a forty five bought it at Kresge's when I was seven years old and uh, then afterwards it was the Saturday Night Fever album mm. and I think the Donny Osmond's greatest hits because I kept okay. watching that show. And then a couple of years later, then I got into the rock stuff with the Who and Bill yeah. Collins and all that stuff. Yeah, I noticed uh, on your website mm. you had a really interesting column going up the the music industry's most loved albums of all time. Yeah, and I was having a look yeah. through that, and it's really cool, and it's really really hard. I try. I was trying to think of it myself. And right. It's really really hard because it's not. 
It's not like it's not your favorite the album. Best. It's not, yeah, which it's, album it's you the live one, It's the one that you love the I most. still can't pinpoint it. I yeah. still can't pinpoint There's probably about 10 right. I can level it down right. to, but yeah. yeah. Do you have a certain one that... Um, I know there's about 60 issues, so I didn't see if you were on any of them. But. No, because I, I was asking everybody else. Yeah. Um, I think the, 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 the album I listened to the most was probably like in the last... 30 years was probably my Blade Valentine's Loveless but okay, I don't think wow. it was my I don't think it's the one that I think the the one that I would love the most might be Talk Talk's this, The Color of Spring wow. and every time I sit there every time I listen to it I just marvel that that this is existence that God loves music mm-hmm. it's just, it just I, I can't even fathom how they even did some of the things on it but then there's other albums like Songs from the Big Chair that I listen to and it's like this is genius it's yeah. genius all around um, uh, such a hard question to pinpoint yeah to yeah, pinpoint. yeah but yeah. I, you know and I would get like when I would send out that email back when I was doing it I would always get like damn you yeah you know yeah. Um, but I want I want those albums to have that kind of memory attached to it see for, for me know? too it depends on what uh what part of my life because in different sure. you know in high school I would have said something completely different absolutely you know? I yeah. went like many I went through a metal phase and right. and so I would have said number of the beast probably then or sure yeah, when audio I mean, I, I think there was a time out. when I, I think we listened to Hysteria or Pyromania yeah. every day for like 18 months right but is it you know and, and again that's an album yeah. too that you listen to and you're like how the hell do they do that yeah um but yeah, you go through different phases, and then there's albums where the older you get, the more you understand it. Like I think, mm-hmm. I think you know when you're in your teens. Look, in '87, going back to the Joshua Tree, when that album comes out, it blows everybody away. Critically, it's at the top of everybody's mm-hmm. list. It's at the top of everybody's sales list. It's, yeah, it's at it's it it. It was a historic album, even back then. We knew something was up. There's still some album that you looked at, and it was like Springsteen, Born in the USA. Absolutely, like mm-hmm. that's up. But as you get older, you learn to appreciate those albums a lot more yeah. because you realize running. But even saying that, I can't even commit to Joshua Tree being my favorite U2 right. album. Right. I have a favorite U2 album from every decade, pretty much. Right. You know, right. Act Chung Baby, All That You Can't Leave Behind. Yeah, or like Springsteen, like, you know, I think at the time people would say, like, The River, but then, you know, in your 30s, you know, Tunnel of Love is like when people start to get divorced and Mm -hmm. you're like, your mind starts to wander and your eyes start to wander, you know, and, uh, you know, just some of those lines, like, you know, it ought to be easy, it ought to be simple enough, you know, man meets woman, they fall in love with a house gets haunted and the ride gets rough we've got to learn to live what we can't rise above like you don't understand those lines until you are completely screwed up by life okay you lose your job your wife leaves you you get divorced you have a loss of your parents and you just look around and you're like what the hell happened yeah um but at the time you listen to it it's like this is still a great album right so yeah okay so last last question yeah uh, so far of 2019 what are some of your favorite songs albums um 
you know, I the 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 this year I've been listening to a lot of amazing women that mm. that they're out there and they're awesome. I've been listening to, I, I think Lizzo's album is amazing. Mm. Casey Musgraves' album is amazing. Maggie Rogers' album. Oh yeah, man, that blew me away. Astounding. Um, Sharon Van Etten. Um, there's I, I'm seeing way more diversity and taking risks on the women's side mm-hmm. than ever before. Um, and I find out a lot of that music just from listening to The Current in Minneapolis or KEXP in Seattle online. And they just, every day I find something amazing yeah. new to dive into. So I'm going to say those four women are rocking my world this year. Awesome. Well, thank you, Eric, so much. Hey, for thanks so much for having by. me. I yeah, appreciate it's it. It's a good time. Absolutely. Thank you. Thanks, man. Adamantium.